Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org. Let's stand together, Luke chapter 10 and verse 25. By the way, that, third, that last song we sung was written by one of our own praise team. And uh, we got some amazing writers and songs that have been created right here in our own church family. And that's fun. It's exciting to see what God is doing. Luke 10, I'll start with 30 today. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And when he fell into the hands of robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and he saw the man he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place where he saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. When he saw him, he took pity on him. And he went to him, he bandaged his wounds, pouring on the oil and the wine. And he took the man and put him on his donkey, took him into the inn to take care of him. And the next day he took him two silver coins, gave them to the innkeeper, look after him, he said, and when I will return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of robbers? The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Father, today I thank you for this word this morning. I thank you for the scripture that is powerful and quick. I pray, God, that we would not today just be hearers of the word, but we'd be doers. And your word is very clear, go and do likewise. So may we learn the lessons we need to take home with us, take to our workplace with us, take to our schools with us, wherever we go. May we be obedient to this word, we pray. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Turn to someone, tell them they look great today, and then you may be seated. How many know our world's been beat up? Man, our world is beaten, beaten up. Our, our prisons are filled with... Uh, People who have broken laws, who have robbed others, stolen from others, and, and uh, committed murders and crimes of all sorts and all natures, and it seems like as soon as they build a prison, it's not large enough, and they have to go build another one somewhere else. Uh, our homes are a wreck in America today, all around us. Families are being torn apart by abuse, by violence, by divorce. Uh, so many of our kids now are being raised in single-parent homes, and it's a challenge out there, and families are being ripped and torn apart. Our schools, uh, bullying goes on, drug abuse is rampant, uh, sexual immorality. Our schools are battlegrounds anymore, and violence can take place. And, and, and it's just a, the enemies come in, and, and Satan is the robber. He's the robber. The Bible says the thief comes but to steal, kill, and destroy. And he identifies him as Satan himself. And so Satan is the one who, is, who has just come and attacked and left us half dead on the side of the road. And America's there. And we've been beaten and bruised and bullied around and beat up. Our inner cities are filled with poverty and fear and a sense of hopelessness. The robber has beaten up the world. And the Bible says he has left them dying, half dying on the side of the road. We're halfway there dying on the side of the road. And so my question today is, what are we doing about it? What is the church 
doing about the beatdown that we have taken at the hands of the enemy. He tells a story, and uh, let me give you the background before I get into the story itself. It all starts with a lawyer who comes up to Jesus Christ and says, Hey, tell me, Lord, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And uh, Jesus turns the question back on him. He says, well, what do you think the answer is? He says, well, the law says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And he says, the second is likewise, love your neighbor as yourself. And you know what Jesus says? You've done great. You did an awesome job. That's the right answer. Love God, love people. You can sum up the entire gospel as love God and, and love people. That's what we are called to do as his church, as his people, love God and love others. Now, the, the guy would have been fine if he stopped right there. But how many attorneys uh, know attorneys that you got to have all the paperwork and the loopholes and, and, and everything filled out completely? And, and so he asked the question. He wants to be very precise about, he says, then, who is my neighbor? And, and I think really he might be asking the question, who can I exclude? Who, who can I cut out? Who can I leave off the ones that you're requiring me to love? I know you say love everybody, love your neighbor as yourself, but who can I cut out from this uh, formula right here? Now, as I begin to preach this morning, there may be names that right now are going through your mind. You're thinking, who can I exclude? Who's the guy that drives me crazy? Who's the guy I don't want to be around? Who's the one who hurt me? Somebody hurt you. They, they messed you up. And we want to we wanna be angry with them. We want to be bitter with them. We want to hate them in return. And, and so we say, like this guy, who is really my neighbor? Who, who do I have to love and who can I leave off my list? Who hurt me? Who's different than I am? Who's a different color than I am? Who has a different background? Who lives in a different neighborhood than I do? Who, who comes from a different, who's a different religion than I am? A, a different belief system than I am? Who, who, who doesn't believe like I do? Who can I cut out from my list? And we already may be thinking of some of those kinds of people. But because I love God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, with all my strength, it leaves me with no other opportune option than to love my neighbor as myself. I've got to love my neighbor because God loves everybody. How can I say, John says, how can you say you love your neighbor whom you've seen when you don't love God or you, who you can't see? You'll say you love God, but you don't love your neighbor. It doesn't add up. If you're a believer, you've got to love your neighbor. You don't have a choice. So it doesn't matter who they are or what their situation may be. He gives us no outs. Love your neighbor. And then he's going to tell a story to just really show who our neighbor is. Now, this, the title of this series is What Stopped the Gospel? And we've looked at different things that stopped the gospel. We know that the gospel is powerful and quick and it's the key to salvation in, in itself. But if, if there's a hindrance to the gospel going out or the world being reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ, the fault's with us. And so it says you may need to cleanse out your temples. You may need to consider the risk and count the cost. You, you, you may need to look at the harvest fields. And we learned about the harvest fields last week. And so he kind of goes back and he tells us what is hindering the gospel. Well, today we see two men who were literally stopping the gospel. One was a priest and one was a Levite. They were, these were the religious leaders. These were the ones who led the religious community of Jerusalem, of Judea. They were the ones who were the forerunners in religion. They were literally stopping the gospel by their lack of compassion. 
And you know the story, they go by, and first the priest goes by, and he goes by on the other side of the road. And then the Levite goes by, and he goes by on the other side of the road. We have the gospel, we have the good news, we have the answer to our beat down, but our lack of compassion can stop the gospel. So we're going to focus primarily this morning on the Samaritan. We're not going to talk a whole lot about the priest and a whole lot about the Levite because I want to talk about really what advances the gospel. And it's the attitude of this Samaritan man. And the first thing we see is in verse 33. It says, and he saw the man. He saw the man. He saw him beside the road. Now, let me start out by saying the Samaritan didn't go out looking for him. He didn't set on a journey to say, I want to find out who was beaten today and who I can stop to help. He didn't set out to look for this guy. He knew nothing about him whatsoever. In fact, he had places to go. He had things to do. He had an agenda to carry. But the Bible says he saw the man. The problem is we can focus so much on our own journey that we don't see the needs and hurts of people all around us. We get so busy moving down the road, doing our own thing, looking at our family, looking at my life and my home and my situation, we don't see the person that's beaten alongside of the road. We don't stop long enough. We don't even see him there because we're so, I got things to do, places to go, people to see. I've got my agenda. I've got my schedule. And we miss them all around us all the time. If you're going to have compassion, you've got to first see the need that is around you. Sometimes we think, you know, pastor, I really can't help anybody else because I got my own problems. I haven't arrived spiritually yet. My life is a mess and I'm not there where I ought to be and so I really can't help anybody else until I fix myself first and then I can minister to someone else. But listen to this, listen to this statement. We can't allow our focus on spiritual maturity to hinder us from our spiritual mission. We cannot allow our focus on spiritual maturity to hinder us from our spiritual mission. Yes, we should always be growing. Yes, you would always seek the Lord and want to know him more. Yes, we should get involved in the fellowship of the body of Christ. Yes, we should read his word and pray and seek his face and do those things and wait in his presence. But I want to tell you, along the journey, we've got to be ready to stop and help those who are hurting because that's also a part of the gospel message. We want to keep growing, but we can't forget others. You look at the priest, he's probably the most spiritually mature of the bunch. If you look at his life and pedigree and where he came from, he's a holy man, he's a very powerful man, probably also a very wealthy man. But he's got to get to the temple because he's got sacrifices to offer. And so he's going to be at the temple. He's going to offer sacrifices for himself and for all the people who come to the temple to get their sacrifices made. The priest has got to be there to do that. So he's got no time to help somebody else because he's got religious duties to do. And he's got to make his way back there. The Levite, the Levite was a temple assistant. He took care of taking care of all the items in the temple, taking care of the temple. He had work to do. He probably had appointments to keep. He had an agenda to keep. And, uh, and so he had to keep right on moving down the road because he's looking at his own stuff. Loving others will mess up your agenda and it will mess up your schedules. It's not convenient. It's never convenient. It never happens at a convenient time for you. It will always mess up your agendas and your schedules. And the problem is we are so busy today in our rat race of life in America. If you've got kids, it's home especially, you know what I'm talking about. Between work 
and school and sports and church. There's little time for anybody else but me and my family and my three kids, my two kids, my eight kids, whatever the case may be. I've got time for nobody else. My family's a big enough obligation. I will tell you there are seasons in life that will be busier than others, especially if you have kids at home. But listen to me. On your journey, while you're raising your kids, keep your eyes open to the pain around you. You can be a witness at work. You gotta go to work every day, right? You gotta take care and provide for your family, right? Well, while you're at work, look at the man who's the desk two desks over from you, who is beaten up on the side of the road. His life's a mess. He's going through a divorce. He's just heard he's had cancer. His life is messed up. He's waiting for someone to reach out and pour on some oil and wine. And we say, you know what? I don't have time. My life, my family's too busy. There are hurting people all around you. Open up your eyes. Soccer moms, when you take that kid to soccer every night and you got to go there to watch him play and, and you try to look enthused. There are other mothers around there who are also hurting, who are also beaten, who you can take time and stop and minister to and love and spend time and get to know them and get close to where they're at. I, I, let me just say something. I, I don't want to make anybody, I'm, I may make you mad. I, I've done it before. I'll probably do it again. So uh, I'm going to say it anyway. I don't know why I'm apologizing. Uh, I do it on a weekly basis. But anyway, you know, uh, kids, we got kids, and, and, and you got kids, and they, they all play the sports. My kids played all the sports. They, well, not all of them, but some of them. And they played football. They were lousy at it, and, and uh, they're not here, and, and their egos are not that fragile anymore. But they, they weren't very good. And, uh, and we, you, know, you take them three nights a week. And then you go and sit at a game for two hours on a Saturday afternoon, and you watch them play, and they may get in for one play or two plays, and you're clapping and going nuts and calling out their name. And we do that because we're parents who want them to be well-rounded, and we get them involved in cheerleading or sports or, or gymnastics or whatever it is you got them involved in. And that's, that's, that's all, all okay. And we'll kill ourselves to make sure they get to those practices and get to those games, and that dominates our life for a season. But I wonder what would happen if we, on a Saturday morning, got up and took all of our kids to the food bank. And while we're passing out groceries to all the families coming by, those who don't have the same clothes that we have on, those whose clothes are tattered, those who are hungry, those who... What, what if we just sat there with our kids and we passed out groceries with our, with our children? We use our, our kids as an excuse for why we can't minister and why we can't help other people. Let them see you doing it. Let them see you ministering. Take them with you to the nursing home. Take them with you to sit beside the bedside of, of a lady or an elderly person who has no one to care about them. Let those children go with you. And you know what? I think in the long scheme of things, most of your kids aren't going to get college scholarships to play football or soccer. But I tell you, the one thing that will stay with them the rest of the life is the food you took to the next door neighbor who was dying with cancer. And you fixed a meal and said, come on, kids, let's go. We're going to visit this person. We're going to help this person. We're going to do this or that. Let them see that. And I think over the long course of their lives, they will be much better off. Don't use your kids as an excuse for why we can't. Don't use your husband or wife as an excuse. Do ministry together. Husbands and wives serve together, work together, and grow closer together. You don't, it, has to, it doesn't have to be either or. 
And we get so focused on me and my family and my problems and my situations, we are so busy riding our donkeys right down the path, we don't see broken, beating, bruised, dying people all around us. And first of all, we gotta open up our eyes, get it off of ourselves, and get it on others. It's amazing how busy we can get. Time passes and we look back and we can't remember the last time we helped somebody. Can't remember the last time we shared the gospel with an unbeliever and sat down and showed the scripture to them. And can't remember the last time we sat down and told someone our story of how Christ saved us and redeemed us and what he did in our lives. We can't remember the last time we brought somebody to church, brought them to hear the good news. And we're often like the priest and the Pharisee and the Levite. Don't mean it. Not necessarily bad, evil people. We just are busy. Busy. And I'm sure that's what the priest and the Levites said. I look at the good Samaritan, on the other hand. His life was interruptible. He was interruptible. Now now listen to this. He didn't see an interruption. He saw a person. When we're focused on ourselves, we see an interruption. We see, ah, it's going to mess up my schedule, mess up my time. Oh, this is such an imposition. It's such an interruption to all the stuff I've got to do. He saw a person. He saw a person who was loved by God, whom Christ died for and gave his life for, whom God has a plan for that man's life. God has a future for him and a hope for him. He saw a person who was loved by God, and there's a difference. This is not an interruption, but I believe it's a divine appointment from God. And everybody who is beaten along the side of the road, don't see them as interruptions. See them as God's divine appointment. For me, a a chance to minister the oil and the wine and the good news of Jesus Christ. One of the frustrating things for me is our world is becoming more and more impersonal. I've got guys now that tell me, don't call me. I won't answer your call. Text me. So I got to, to get a hold of them, I got to text them. And I text them to say, call me back. <laughs> get on that, pick up that phone right now and, and answer this phone. <laughs> text me. And it takes me, these fingers don't work very good and I can't see anymore and, and I'm trying to text these. And, you, and your texts are scary. If you don't check spell check, you never, you'll know what's going out there. You can say something really bad and not be aware of it. It'll, it'll, it'll fill the words in for you. And sometimes they're not always the greatest. And so text me. So everything's through text. Don't have to talk anymore. Don't have to communicate anymore. Don't have to really feel. How can I know somebody's hurting and broken with a text in 10 words or 20 words or whatever? We get on Facebook. Now we're not known as individuals. We're we're, we're known by our profile and by our occupation and by our status. We tell everybody, I got up today and I drank coffee this morning. This is a really exciting day. And it's going, wow, that's great. And your phone keeps beating with all these tweets coming up. And you're going, I don't care about that, you know. And in technology and all that's going on, while it has its good pluses and good things, it is making us very, very impersonal. And we don't see the needs and we don't touch the people and we don't get where they're at because we're too busy looking at ourselves keeps us from getting close, which leads to my second point, and it's simply this. Compassion gets close. Compassion gets close. It says in verse 34, it says, he went to him. He went to where he was at. He bandaged up his wounds. He poured on the oil and the wine. He touched him. He connected with him. There was, he got close to where he was at. 
You cannot do ministry from a distance. Some things you can do far away, long distance. You cannot do ministry effectively from a distance. Compassion is not a life of pity. It is a life of practice. You see, it says he saw him and took pity on him. But if it had just stopped there, if he just kept right on rolling down the road, that man's life would have not been changed. He had to move to step number two. He had to get close to where he is at and get down in his dirt, get down in the blood, get down in his mess, get down in his junk and help him out. We've got to get involved with the problem. We must be with the hurting. Now, as you think about the story, we know very little about the man who was robbed. It, it's, Jesus does what I would call intentional ambiguity. That's not the issue. That's not the point of the story. We can probably deduce from the story that the man's most likely a Jew. Several reasons. The Bible doesn't tell us he was, but several reasons. It's proximity to Jerusalem, and he's on a 17-mile stretch somewhere between Jericho and Jerusalem. So most likely he is Jewish. Probably he's also Jewish because of the audience Jesus is talking to. He wants to connect with his audience as he tells a story. And who is he talking to? Jews. Scribes are there. Other Jewish people are there. They're around. They're gathering. They're hearing the story. And so he's connecting with them. But probably one of the biggest reasons we know that he was a Jew is he's going to contrast this Jew with a Samaritan. And that's kind of the aha, mic drop moment. Wait a minute. This guy's a Samaritan? And he's a Jew. And we know from John 4 that the Samaritans didn't like the Jews and the Jews didn't like the Samaritans and there was this bridge between them. And so, so we know he was a Jew. But was he rich? We don't know. <coughs> we don't know if he had any money, wealth or not. He may have. Or those robbers may have got ripped off. Boy, we were up, beat this guy up and we got $2. This is, a, this is a waste of time. Waste of good punches. But whatever, he may have been wealthy, he may not have been. Was he educated? We don't know. He may not have been the brightest guy on the block because he's going on a, this path known to be uh, held up by robbers along the way, probably at the wrong time of the day. And so he may not have been the brightest guy, but he may have been a brilliant scientist. Who knows? We don't know anything about this guy. We, we don't know his background, anything about his family, anything about his wife and kids. We know nothing about him, but that's the reason he tells the story like this. It's intentional. The point is, the man is anybody who is beat up. Priest and the Levite are not only too busy with their temple duties, but they couldn't risk touching a bloody man. Now, now this is where they, they had a real dilemma, because if they touch him and he has blood on them, and worst case scenario, if he died on the spot, they would have to go through all this ceremonial cleansing all over again. They would get their priestly robes bloody and messed up. They would not look good coming back into Jerusalem. And so all this stuff, done, and, and then if he dies, they got to do a funeral service. It's going to be a mess, a lot of time. And so they are priest and their vocation meant more than helping somebody else and so they pass on by too much hassle the samaritan though touches him bandages his wounds and the bible says he pours on the oil and the wine the wine acted as an antiseptic it had the alcohol content in it and so it it's going to purify and cleanse the wounds it's going to burn out the wounds now the wine's going to hurt you pour that on your open wounds, it's going to hurt. And he's going to be screaming. But then they put on the oil. The oil was the soothing balm that you put on. It was the, what made it feel better and softened the skin. And, and so he pours on the oil and he pours on the wine. I thought about that verse. 
I think it's symbolic of something else. I think it's symbolic of the Holy Spirit. Many times in Scripture you see talk about the anointing oil and the presence of the Holy Spirit of God. And, and Jesus Christ in Luke stands up and says, the Spirit of God hath anointed me. Talk, describing the anointing that would, they would do for priests with the oil or anointing of the kings with the oil. The Spirit of the Lord hath anointed me to preach the gospel, to preach the good news. And so it refers to the presence of the Holy Spirit in his life. And then, and then the wine is often a symbol of the Holy Spirit of God as well. He says in Ephesians, be not drunk with wine, whereas in an excess, but be filled with the Spirit, singing to yourselves in songs and hymns and spiritual songs. So you see this, this new wine of the Holy Spirit of God. And so there's something about this man reaching down to help somebody else beside the road. And, and the presence of the Spirit of God in him is going out to the man who is bruised and broken on the side of the road. I believe we can bring God's divine presence when we reach down to help somebody who's hungry, help somebody who's poor, help somebody in need. We are bringing the divine, holy presence of Almighty God. Pour on the oil and the wine. Mm. God involved in his life. It's also a picture of our good shepherd. The Bible says he anointeth my head with oil. My cup runneth over. The oil and the wine, pour it on, pour it out. We've got it. It's the essence of the gospel. We've got the presence of God. We can share that with other people. We bring that to them in their time of need, in their hurt, in their pain. We, we bring that to them. It's easy to make excuses. It's easy to say, you know what, pastor, it's not my problem. I don't have time. Or they got themselves into that mess. I hear that one a lot. Their time of reaping and sowing. Let them reap a little bit. They sowed that mess. They made their bed. Let them lie in that. Let them work their way out of their own problem, their own situation. And we can become very judgmental and very hard and very calloused. But that is not loving your neighbor. You see, if I see a problem, if I see a hurt, if I see a pain, it now becomes my problem and my hurt and my pain. There's no way of getting around it. And we have the oil and the wine, so get close and get to know them, and then you can begin to make a difference. <coughs> get close. Third thing, compassion meets the need, whatever the need is. And look at verse number 35. I want to read this to you. It says, and the next day he took out two silver coins, gave them the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. You see... To get involved, to really have compassion, it starts by seeing the need, and then you're moved with compassion. You feel God's heart. You, it compels you to want to do something. And then in order to do something, you've got to get close. You've got to get in their lives. You've got to get to know them. You've got to hear their story. You've got to spend time with them. You've got to help them. You've got to pour on the oil and the wine and bring that soothing medicinal things that you have. <coughs> but it also means meeting their needs, both their physical needs and their spiritual needs. For if we as a church tell somebody who is hungry, get right with Jesus, they're not going to hear you. But when you give them a Big Mac or you give them a sandwich or you give them a meal or you give them food or you help take care of them, then it opens up their heart to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we're called to meet both their physical and their spiritual needs. That's what the church is here to do. And I will tell you, in order to meet their physical needs, it's going to cost you something. The Samaritan went the extra mile. Anyone can notice, anyone can take pity. 
but only those living out the gospel sacrifice so that others can experience his love and so they will do whatever it takes. And it may mean getting dirty, it means getting bloody, it also means getting your wallets out and your checkbooks out and helping when you see a need. Because you love them. It's gonna cost you your time. The Bible, it's interesting, it says he stayed in the inn overnight. We know that because it says the next morning, the next day. And so he takes the guy to the inn, he gets a room for him, gets a room for himself. Uh, The next morning he gets up. I'm sure he had to check the guy in and pay his bills up front. But then he leaves some money with him, two silver coins. He says, "Here's here's a starter for you. Keep this guy in this inn as long as you need to. And I'll tell you what, if this is not enough, I'm coming back. And when I come back, whatever the bill is, you put it on my check, on my tab, and I will reimburse you for every penny of that. Your life and your plans may have to be put on hold to help someone else. It will cost you your time, and I will tell you very directly, it will cost you your money. But it's worth it to love your neighbor as yourself. There's one phrase I want to key in on. It's in verse 35. It says, when I come, I will repay you, or I will reimburse you. It says in the New International Version. When I come, I will reimburse you. I've said already that the the guy on the side of the road is a picture of the world. The thieves who beat him up and left him bleeding and half dead, I think is a picture of Satan. I believe as you break the parable down, even though you can't press it, Uh, every point of every story, but I think it's a picture of Jesus Christ. He's the good Samaritan. He's the Samaritan in the story who came down from heaven and came down to a broken, bleeding world who cared enough to stop and help us along the way. But then he says something. He says, you know what? I'm coming back. I'm coming back. And when I come back, my reward is with me, the word of God says. I will reimburse you. I will take care of you. And we are the inn. We are the innkeeper. He says, I'm giving you the oil and the wine. You got all you need to help this world. Everything you need, I've left it with you. I've, I've given my Holy Spirit. He is with you. He will be in you. You can minister out of that grace of God, of the Holy Spirit of God. Everything you need, I'm leaving it with my church. He says, don't worry about the bill. Don't worry about the expense. Give until it hurts. Love until it hurts. Reach out until it hurts. Do what it takes to care, to reach out, to minister. It's worth it because you know what? I'm coming back. And when I come back, I'll reimburse everything. I'll pick up the tab. I'll take care of it all. Hallelujah. I'm coming back. And my reward is with me. Now, when he comes back, He's left this mission into the hands of his church. He says, go and make disciples. This is your assignment. This is your mission. When he comes back, will he find you like the priest? Or like the Levite? Or even like himself, the Samaritan? You see, the real mic drop was this, to this Jewish audience was he gets to the very end of this whole story. And he says, now you go and do Likewise. Now, here's the rub. If the priest was the hero of the story, they'd all said, yeah, we want to all be like the priest. Levite's the hero of the story. Yeah, we want to be like the Levite. But it was the Samaritan. It was the one they hated. He says, you, my church, 
you be like the Samaritan. You go and do likewise. You cross the racial divide. You cross the neighborhoods. You cross to where they're at. You cross to the hurting. Go and do likewise. Their prejudice in that first century was every bit as great as our prejudice in America today. The Jews hated the Samaritans. The Samaritans hated the Jews. And now he tells these lawyers and scribes and the audience, be like the Samaritan. Show love. Our neighbor is not determined by race. Our neighbor is not determined by creed or gender or religion. But it is anyone in need. Anyone in need. All those bruised and broken and beaten up and battered and left half dying. And we as his church need to regain the compassion of Jesus Christ and reach out to a beat up world. And to have his compassion, we need to see the need and then take the next step and get really close and then meet whatever need that God sends our way. If the church will do that, the gospel will advance and lives will be changed. If we choose to be like the, the Pharisee, the, the priest and the Levite, we stop the advance of the gospel. But when his church moves out and does what he's called us to do, the gospel goes forward, lives are changed, people are healed, and the world gets better. Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org.